Hey guys, it's Tim and welcome back to the We Are Explorers podcast. This week's episode is a little bit different and a whole lot spicier. We talked to the winners of the North Face Adventure Story Slam. These people chucked their name in a hat, threw caution to the wind and got up on stage in front of a crowd to tell their tale in five minutes. The Story Slam took place in Hobart, Nipaluna on Muwinina country to celebrate the North Face Hobart store that opened early in the year. And I'm coming to you from Camaragal country in Sydney's north. The theme of the night was misadventure in wild places, and misadventure there was. Jaguars, concussions, and ending up in nothing but your jocks at a border crossing. I'll say no more. Our first guest is Jack Sowad, who got into some trouble with her brother at one of Tassie's famous mountain bike parks, Medina. Then we've got Sam Kramer, who was deep in the Bolivian Amazon jungle with his girlfriend, some monkeys, a puma, and a jaguar. Sounds like the start of a bad joke, but I'll let Sam take it from there. And James Hatton, a conservation ecologist who made his way to Patagonia to see conservation through another lens and walked himself right into some misadventure in a remote, cold and closed national park. Let's tuck in. So growing up, my big brother was my hero. He was cooler and stronger and more adventurous than anyone else I knew. And we're different in some pretty big ways. So I've followed more of an academic sort of corporate pathway. And my brother, Jake, is a tradesman and he's also a trained sniper. But we're the same in other big ways. So we both like to get out there. We both work really hard and like to get things done. And we also look pretty similar. So we've both got blue eyes and blonde hair. We're both quite tall and well-built. And Jake's actually quite a big lad. So think Thor type, very blokey. The main thing we do have in common is this family trait And it's a tendency to sort of think she'll be right (laughs) about things. So imagine big plans, big ideas, but a bit skimping on the detail. A few years ago, Jake had been working interstate and overseas and he came home occasionally, maybe once a year. And when he came home, it's adventure time. So hiking the Western Arthurs, rafting the Franklin River, bushwalking, And it was around the time that mountain biking was really taking off in Tassie. So there's a mountain bike park in the south of Tassie called Medina. It's a bike park about an hour and a half from Hobart and they have like global and national events. They have a bus that take people up to the summit of a mountain and drop them off at about 1,100 metres. And then there's around 100 kilometres of bike trails heading back down the mountain. And even though we had little mountain biking experience, we thought, we can ride a bike. We both rode motorbikes. And so we thought, she'll be right. Let's head to Medina. Luckily at Medina, they have bikes for hire and you can hire helmets, everything you need. So off we go down there. It's a beautiful, clear, sunny day, middle of summer, middle of January. And we head down there and and get up to the top of the mountain and we go our separate ways. So both of us are having a couple of goes, heading down the mountain, down the flows, few scrapes and, and bumps and knocks as we go. And after a few times down the mountain, we ended up finding each other about halfway down, which was a weird coincidence. So we're standing there. It's sort of at this lip of the hill where it looks out over the other ranges in the area. And there's lots of huge mountains around there. So taking some photos, looking at the view, we're comparing all of our bumps and scrapes. We're already pretty beaten up and exhausted at this point, but having so much fun. 
And so from that point, we decide to ride down together back to the entrance at Medina. And so we're going along, stopping, doing some filming. We get back down into the bike park area and it's sort of a main area where everyone sits and has food and drink and there's a big banner that you ride under and there's some big dirt jumps that lead up into that area. So I'm following behind Jake and watching him in front of me and he's going up and down and up and down and he didn't pop back up again. I went and found him and he had hit his head so hard that there was a piece of gravel lodged in his helmet and he's a big lad so he came down quite heavily and in front of everyone right there at the main entrance. So up he got, brushed himself off and even though he'd hit his head pretty hard, he was thinking, you know, she'll be right. Sat down and had a chat, but it became pretty apparent that he couldn't really remember even our last conversation or the conversation we were having as we were having it. So sent him in for a medical assessment and and sure enough, he had a concussion. And so we thought that's probably the end of our day and we should head back to Hobart. But it was only about lunchtime at this point. And I thought, it's probably time for me to have one last run. (laughs) And so I left him there sitting down at the entrance and I jumped back on the bus and starting heading up. And and as soon as I got on the bus, I thought I just started feeling pretty bad about leaving him there. So I thought I'll just get off at the halfway point. There's like a halfway drop off and 30 minutes I'll be back and we can hit the road back to Hobart. So I get off at the halfway point and I'm looking around and there's this really obvious fire trail that heads down. And I thought, there we go. So I jump on the bike, um, you know, she'll be right, heading down this fire trail and it's a nice smooth downhill going down, going down. And I kept sort of looking for a sign that goes down the mountain back towards the main entrance. And I went for about 30 minutes down, 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 and there was nothing. And after a while I thought, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> Looked at my phone, absolutely no reception. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon, heat of the day, middle of January, totally underprepared to be where I was and lost. <laughs> so I turned around and I pedaled the bike back uphill all the way back. I was just exhausted after the morning we'd already had. Finally found my way back up to where I'd started And across the road where I'd been dropped off, there was a sign (laughs) and a trail that was heading back to the main entrance. So I jumped on there. I still would have been a good half an hour away and clinging on to the bike handlebars was my main task at that point. I was just exhausted and remember just bumping and scraping and sliding my way all the way back down to the main entrance. Any Tasmanian will tell you that the heat down here is just different. So even though it may have only been something like 31 degrees, it feels like 45 degrees down here. So over a good two and a half hours later, I've reappeared back at the main entrance. Jake's sitting there. He was almost prepared to start calling for help and I was just absolutely cooked. So We've got one with a concussion, one with heat exhaustion, and we need to get back to Hobart. Someone has to drive. And so I thought it better not be the one with the concussion. So we had a a muffin and a Powerade and, you know, she'll be right and jump back in the car and, and off we went back to Hobart. So there's this photo of us and I couldn't find it. I'd say it's on 
perhaps my mum's phone or my brother's phone, but there's this photo of us from that night where we are just covered in bruises and scrapes and cuts and we were just absolutely cooked, but we were so just happy as Larry, fully stoked, best day ever, two thumbs up. So moral of the story, just get out there, you know, have a crack at something new, learn a few lessons and she'll be right. Our next guest is Sam Kramer. Okay, so this story is called Tranquilo, which is Spanish for relax, calm down, don't worry about it. And it's 2005 and my girlfriend at the time, she called me up and she was in the Bolivian Amazon jungle and she said, I found another guy and we're over. And I was pretty heartbroken at the time. But fast forward eight years and my new girlfriend, we were traveling around South America and she said, hey, I'd love to go to that animal refuge that your last girlfriend left you for. And I said, okay, sure, but I'm coming (laughs) this time. And so off we trot to the Bolivian Amazon jungle and we get off the rattly rusty bus at this animal sanctuary. And it's a sanctuary for all the Amazon jungle animals that have been on the black market and they've been pets and things like that. And they've been kind of returned and return to these guys and they give them a a good life. So I turn up and my girlfriend got a puma that she was walking and I had two jobs. The first one was howler monkeys. I had a family of howler monkeys, two adults and two kids that I was looking after. And my job was to teach them how to be monkeys, which I was really good at. And the alpha male, he would preen me and then the lady of the monkeys, I'd preen her and I'd teach the kids how to eat leaves and hang out of the tree and stuff. It really hit me the meaning of the saying when you've got an addiction is trying to get a monkey off your back. And sometimes getting the howler monkey off your back, it was really hard. It would get on there and it'd wrap its tail around your neck. And it was super hard. And the name howler monkey comes from their call. They would do this impressive call, which can be heard up to three kilometers through the forest. I know this probably isn't visual for most people. But it goes like this. Anyway, my second job was walking a Jaguar called Rupee. This was a 120 kilo Jaguar. I'm six foot two and this Jaguar on all fours would come up to my chest. It was a really big cat and it needed two people to walk it. So when I was there at this refuge, it was me and this British fellow named Ross. Together, our combined weight was about 120 kilos. So we were kind of on par with the Jaguar, which was not ideal. And on our first day, we had Bill, who'd been there for three weeks. So he was an expert on Jaguars. And he was walking us around uh, and showing us the ropes with the Jaguar. And there was this rope with a carabiner on the end, and you had to hold onto the rope, kind of like you're walking a dog, but it was a Jaguar. And so we're walking through the jungle and Rupi's favorite game. He's just a cat, really, just a really, really big cat, 120 kilo cat. And he would like to hide behind the bushes and he'd look at you and he'd look at your friend and he'd look at you and you know, oh, this is the game. And you have to stand side by side with your buddy and he'd look at you in the eye and then he'd pick one of you and his pupils would dilate and you think, oh no, he chose me. And so what he would do, he'd have two things. He'd either go for your knees and wrestle to you the ground and then cuddle you, or maybe he'd put his front paws on your shoulders and push you to the ground and then cuddle you. And anyway, my first day, he chose me. He looked at me in the eye, his pupils dilated, and he went for the shoulders and he pinned me down. And then I was the little spoon to the Jaguar. And then the others are there 
saying, tranquilo, Rupi, tranquilo. And I'm thinking other words in my head. Anyway, finally, they extricate me from the tangle of jaguar limbs and we carry on walking down the track. And this happened a few more times, hide behind the bush, pupils dilate. Luckily, he jumped on Ross this time. And then we get a bit further and sometimes the jaguar would like to go off the track because, you know, jaguars don't mind going into the jungle. And we would just have to pull on the rope gently and say, no, droopy, back on the trail. And the 120 kilo jaguar would generally comply. But this one time, the jaguar must have seen something or smelled something and thought, I really want to go over there. And Ross and I are holding onto this rope and we're like, no, Rupi, back on the track. And Rupi thought, no, stuff you, I'm going. And he just took off. And so Ross and I are holding onto this rope. And then Ross got pulled off in the first meter. And then I'm on for another three or four meters, jungle vines around my neck. And then pff, the Jaguar's gone. He's just taken off. And all I can see is jungle vines. And all I can hear in my head is my heartbeat. And I just think, we've lost the Jaguar. And it's in the forest. So I turn around and I find Ross and the other guy and we go back to the track and we say, what do we do? And the other guy, Bill says, all right, Ross and I will go back to the cage because Rupi's probably gone there. Sam, you go back and tell the boss we lost the cat. And I thought, great, I got the easy job. So it's about five minutes walk back along these trails to get to camp. But about halfway back, I turn a corner and there's this 20 meter straight section. At the end of this 20 meters, there's Rupi just sitting there looking at me. I turn around He's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and I'd been told that morning, you can't turn your back on a jaguar because they think that you're afraid or it's a game or something and they'll get you. So I knew I just had to walk towards the jaguar. <sighs> so I took a breath and I just one foot after the other and you've got to be calm. And I walked up to the jaguar and I offered my right hand, the back of the hand to lick because they would like to lick the salt. And and I'm saying, tranquilo, Rupi, tranquilo. And he's licking my hand. And then with my other hand, I have to get the lead and then find the carabiner on the end of the lead. And it's all slippery. And I have to put that around a tree as Rupi's licking my hand, saying, and I'm saying, tranquilo, tranquilo. And the rope's around the tree. And then finally, I clip it back onto the rope. And I say, tranquilo. And I take a step back. Tranquilo, Rupi. And I take another step back. And he's licking my hand. And then I finally get back far enough that the lead is at full extension and Rupi can't come any closer. And I take another step back and I say to myself, tranquilo. And then I say, holy fucking shit. And that was the time that I almost lost a jaguar in the Bolivian jungle. And it was one of the most terrifying things in my life. But it was all worthwhile because that girlfriend is now my wife and we've got a two-year-old. And one day I'm going to take her out on some adventures and some misadventures. Our next guest is James Hatton. So earlier this year, I was lucky enough to have three months off. I had a three-month sabbatical through a program running in Australia called Social Impact Leadership Australia, which allows you to step away from your organisation and go and, you know, challenge yourself in a different way. And coming out of COVID years, I thought I've always wanted to drive the length of Patagonia. So I flew over the Pacific and headed to Chile and headed south hired a van and drove 4,000 k's from the sort of top of Patagonia all the way down to the southern tip of Chile, crossed the Andes a couple of times, went into Argentina for a little bit and, yeah, explored all sorts of different places and really wanted to experience different reserves, different landscapes, meet different people and see conservation through a slightly different lens. So my adventure or misadventure 
started in the Chacobuco Valley, which is part of the Patagonia National Park. And the reason that I wanted to go there was I now work for an organization that works in private land conservation. So we buy really important areas in Tasmania and, and manage them for conservation. And we buy that through crowdsourcing funding and people donate what they can. We pull that money, buy a patch of land, put some money aside and make sure that we can look after it in perpetuity. And the reason that I wanted to go to Chacabuco was that Douglas Tompkins, who was the founder of North Face, started doing this in Chile in the 1980s, 1990s. And the Chacabuco Valley was one of the first places that he purchased. It was this large estancia or farm, about 70,000 hectares that he purchased for conservation. And then in 2018, he sadly passed away in 2016, but in 2018, his wife, Christine Tompkins, donated that land to the Chilean people to expand the Patagonia National Park, and I think it protects over 250,000 hectares. So when I was at uni, I read about Douglas Tompkins and what he was doing in Patagonia, and I was like, oh, I want to go there one day. So when I had this opportunity to do this sabbatical, I thought, when do you ever get a free pass to have three months off and go and explore places. So I jumped at it, spent 10 days in the Chacabuco Valley, pretty much on my own. The national park was closed up until I got there. So there was really no one around. I stayed in a few different campsites in the valley, doing walks each day, reading, bird watching. I didn't see a puma there, but I saw a puma on another part of my trip. But just, you know, the, the valley is just incredible. It's this just big, open, expansive, grassy valley full of guanaco, which is a native herbivore and condors and, you know, just so idyllic, incredible place. And before you go into the valley, you can follow the valley all the way through from west to east and you cross over into Argentina. And so I thought I'll do 10 days and I'll cross into Argentina and head south to El Chilten. But when you get into the valley, there's no reception at all. So I had my time, I had my weather window. I was looking, did all those things that, you know, my outdoor ed teacher taught me back in the day, got my weather forecast, had all my equipment, went in there, I uh, was driving out and there's this one loop right at the eastern end of the valley before you sort of get up to the step and you cross into Argentina called the Avalis Loop, which is about a 16-kilometre loop up this side valley and you walk up this spectacular, really sheer valley, cross a suspension bridge and come back down the other side. And when I took off from my campsite and I was driving up and I was looking and the weather was getting a bit dodgy and I was looking at my weather forecast, I was like, oh, it's not going to get bad till the next day. And then I realized that my weather forecast was more than 10 days old. But anyway, so I parked the car and I thought, yeah, I can do it. 16 Ks, that's fine. I can smash it out. I was really fit. There were some clouds building up at either end of the valley. I was like, no worries. We're right. Chucked everything in my bag, jumped out of the car and then just started legging it walking up this valley across the flats and then up the side valley gets steeper and steeper and you could see the snow on the peaks around me and really spectacular condors, guanaco. I think I saw an Andean fox too. Like I was the only one there. There was no one else around because the national park had been closed for so long and this was a really remote part. And, you know, I didn't have that mind going, I'm the only one here. I thought the only one here, that's a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. And as I'm walking further and further up the valley, I look back down into the Chacobuco, the main valley, because this was a side valley, and I could see these clouds coming up both ends and then they started coming up the valley behind me. And I'm looking forwards and it was sort of sunny. I was like, that's cool, I'll be right keep going, keep going, climb up a little saddle, another saddle, another saddle. You could look up and you could see the suspension bridge over this epic gorge with this wild river running down it. And anyway, before I knew it, it was quite windy. And I just had that moment where everything just went still. 
and I spent a bit of time in mountains in Tassie. And you know, when everything goes still, something's going to go down. <laughs> You're either going to get slammed by a puma or something, or the weather's about to change. And as I'm walking, it just started snowing. And I was like, oh, this is sort of cool. You know, wow. And then it kept snowing and snowing and snowing. And it got heavier and heavier. And I found a little shrub to shelter under and had the last of my coffee from my thermos. Had a chocolate bar, I think. And then I was like, I can still do it. I can see the suspension bridge. Once I come around that, it's all downhill back down the valley. And then it just went wild. The wind picked up. And then I'm walking in a blizzard, put all of my gear on, everything I had, down jacket, overcoat, everything. And then, you know, when you keep walking again, head down. I had my walking poles, which I wasn't really used to using walking poles. And then it's all started seeping through and I started getting wetter and wetter. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is wild. Anyway, I thought I could still do it. I can still do it because there was so much snow that fell so quickly and the wind was going everywhere. I put my poles in the back of my pack and just kept walking. And then I was got to the sort of ridge past these amazing guanaco, which were just on the side grazing and went down the ridge to the actual suspension bridge. And the wind's rushing through this gorge, like really steep gorge, wild river down the bottom. And by that time, it sort of was still snowing, but, you know, it was just white everywhere. You could barely see the track anymore. And anyway, I thought, oh, that's all right. I'll just go straight across, be all cool, and I'll head straight down the valley other side and it'll be fine. <laughs> and as I'm walking across the suspension bridge, I sort of slip a bit and I'm like, oh, that was a bit sketchy. And I don't know how far it was, but it was a long way down. And keep walking. And then as I'm walking, I never forget this gust of wind. And then, you know, when you have a feeling like that and you, you sort of catch your heart in your mouth. And then what must have happened was my walking pole in the back, in my backpack got caught on one of the handrails and flipped me. And I slipped and I fell bang on my side, on my stomach. And there I was holding this suspension bridge with my hands on either side of the suspension bridge and my legs. And I was just sitting there and, it, you know, it felt like eternity, but it was probably a moment. And I was just sitting there and I, like, looked down. I could see the river and the bridge was swaying because I just, you know, 90-kilo blokes just gone ass over it <laughs> on it. And I look up at those guanacos still there and I was like, I had that instant moment of, like, well, actually, nature has no shits given about where I am or <laughs> what I'm doing here. And it's just doing its thing. And I'm just nearly, you know, if I slipped a little bit further, I would have just rolled straight off the edge and would have been all over. But just had that moment of going, oh, wow, no one knows where I am, what I'm doing here. The weather's gone wild. And I just, from that point, just sat there for a moment and sort of got up on my hands and knees, crawled a little bit further up, back up the way I came up the suspension bridge grabbed onto the, the hand wire rails, got myself up and just stepped off and then just stood there for a moment and went, one of those moments where you like have no idea. No one knows what you've just experienced. It was a moment in time. You know, you, you just realize that you are just this small little fragment in the world and you're just a collection of your decisions that you make and whether they're good decisions or bad decisions. And then from there, I just legged it back the way I came. And as I legged it, you know, I basically ran, I think, the same way I came. I could see my footprints in the track, which was handy. And my heart was just racing and like, yeah, got back down, went down the ridge, the steep ridges, got back to the, the flat of the Chakabuko, crossed the flat, got back to my van. As I'm getting to my van, all the clouds dissipate and just the most epic mountains covered in snow all around me. 
and I'm sitting there. I go back to my van. I got this little crappy van. Anyway, I take all my clothes off because I'm so wet, throw it in the back of my car, in the back of the van, get in the van, get my little stove out and heat up some instant noodles, <laughs> eating my instant noodles, and these people pull up to do this walk. And I'm like, you have no idea what I just went through. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I do know. Holla, holla. And I was like, oh, yeah, how's it going? You know, <laughs> this dude from Tassie and his jocks in the middle of Patagonia that's just, you know, made momentarily decisions that could have ended his life and eating two-minute noodles in a van. And, yeah, anyway, from there I, I, I drove off, had a few moments, and just the mountains were just covered in snow and the weather shifted and the snow had gone away, the mountains had cleared, and I got to the border at the Chilean side, which was pretty funny actually because I was just like, oh, just before I get to the border I'll stop and I'll put some more clothes on and, you know, get my life back into order anyway it just came up and all of a sudden I was like there in the compound <laughs> and I get out of the van they're just in my jocks <laughs> the Chilean border crossing guy and he's like what the hell where have you been what on earth's been going on here anyway so I put my clothes on you know sorted myself out spoke my really bad Spanish filled out the documents crossed the border into the Argentinian side get to the Argentinian side and the guy there he was a bit grumpier had a massive gun because, you know, you always have to have guns when you're crossing borders. Opens the back of my van and there's just like Maggi noodles or like instant noodles everywhere, wet clothes, underwear, just all over the place. He just like looked at me, looked at the van and then shut the door and I got back in my van and continued south. And that was my uh, adventure in the Chacabuco Valley. Oh, how was that? All those stories were first heard at the North Face's inaugural Adventure Story Slam event in Hobart to celebrate their store that opened up earlier in the year. And bringing the adventure community together for a night of good old-fashioned storytelling. Such a cool idea. Keep an eye out for next year's event, and hey, maybe pop by the store next time you're traveling through Hobart. You might run into Jack, Sam, or James. Ring a cowbell if it's on you and start slamming some stories. They'll know what it's about. Thanks for listening to the We Are Explorers podcast, and we'll catch you next year.